Hunger Games. Welcome to the Hunger Games. Good morning. That's yeah, kind of weak. Good morning. Okay, open your Bibles to John chapter 4. Ryan did a great job last week. I listened to it. I was with you in spirit from the nation of Peru. Becky and I had a chance to visit our kids, one of our kids who's married, our daughter, uh, Jamie. What's her name? Jamie? Who were, we spent a week with her last week. Do you remember? Okay, yeah, it was Jamie. That's right. And her husband, Tom, down in Peru and uh, just had an incredible time, uh, which you'll maybe hear more about in the future. But it's great to be back. But uh, one of the joys of the internet is if you are never here on a, ever miss a Sunday morning, make sure you just go online and, uh, and tune in and listen. It, it, it really helps you stay up with where we are going. And if I hadn't listened to Ryan's sermon, I'd thought, what am I talking about this week? Uh, but we're into a series really about not just the hungers of the heart, but it's really a series about Jesus. It's really a focus on understanding Jesus and connecting Jesus to those hungers and thirsts that we all have in life and uh, where is that true satisfaction found so turn to john chapter 4 today and let's pray father god thank you so much what a great chance to be back with my friends and to be in your word thank you for uh, the revelation of jesus Um, god kind of forgive me for the the fact that i grew up hearing about jesus And because of that, sometimes I forget how truly unique he is. Father, we uh, pray that as we study uh, John chapter 4 to John chapter 11 over the next, uh, next few weeks, as we work through this heart of this gospel of John, that you would teach us, uh, teach us about the one who says, I am the great I am. I am God in human flesh. But teach us also about how he relates to us in our everyday search for uh, satisfaction. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Satisfaction. I like that word. But it's kind of tough to define sometimes and even tougher to feel like, yeah, I am a satisfied person. The reality is, a lot of times in my life, I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel satisfied with the church. I want it to grow and reach more people and be bigger. I don't feel satisfied with my income. I wish I got a raise. I don't feel satisfied with my family, although they're incredible as they are. I want more grandkids. You know, I don't want any more kids. I'm done with that, okay? You know, the greatest thing about kids is, you know, birthing them and, whoa, what a great day. And then, you know, a few days later, it's like, oh, my gosh, so I've got to raise this creature. And, and then it's like, okay, now, how many years until they leave? And then you celebrate their leaving, and uh, then you say, okay, now, you owe me. And you pray for grandkids. And you have a real bond with your grandkids. But I want more. I'm not satisfied. At least that's how I feel at times. I think all of us in life have a tendency to want more and to need more and to desire more and to have that sense of of something is still missing in my life. Today we're going to look at a passage that doesn't actually talk first about hunger, it talks about thirst. Now, when you think about it, thirst and hungers are really two, you know, parts of the same topic. I mean, we could have titled this The Thirst Games, but that just didn't ring well. 
So we landed on the Hunger Games, but today we're going to start with John chapter 4, where Jesus first talks about thirst. Now, it's interesting that he starts there, because in reality, you thirst before you hunger. You realize that? Physically, you thirst much sooner than you hunger. In fact, I looked up the stats on this to say, how long can you live without food? You know how long you can live without food? At least uh, a healthy individual. I mean, I'm, for me, it's like till dinner. <laughs> okay, but, you know, but for a healthy person that really doesn't have food, uh, it's at least 40 days. And for some people, 50, 60, there was a recent account where a person starved themselves to death and it took 66 days. So if you're planning to do that, it's going to take more than a week. So you better plan ahead. Yeah, they can go 50, 60, perhaps even up to 70 days without food. How many days can you go without water? Anybody know? Two weeks. Don't try that. Not according to what I read, at least. It's usually three to five days. If you truly have no water whatsoever, uh, three to five days and you're a goner. So, you know, this idea of thirsting, uh, we're talking about a very basic physical need for water. You need it. You need it long before you even need food or get hungry. Well, I get hungry between meals, but you need it longer before you die of it. So we're going to talk today about a thirst for life. You know, a lot of times um, we, 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 we tend to, as Americans, think, you know, if I had blank, then I would be satisfied. Now, let me kind of just play a little game with you for a minute before we dive into the story that Jesus is going to teach us from. Um, how would you fill in the blank on this question? If you said this, because this is kind of the question of the morning. Here's where I'm headed. My life would be good if only I had blank. My life would be good if only I had blank. What would you put in that blank? And you're not allowed to put in the Christian answer, Jesus. Okay, now we learned last week that's probably the correct answer, all right? But for now, you know, on, on a real practical level, all of us, you know, as you're living life, you, a lot of times we have an unmet desire that we thirst for, right? So I'm just asking you, uh, along with Jesus, what would you put in your blank? Okay. I would be happy if only I had blank. And what are you really thirsting for in life? What are you really thirsting for? Father God, teach us as we look at your word and listen and learn from Jesus as he encounters a very thirsty woman. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to the word of God. John chapter 4, pick it up with me in verse 1. Here's the context of the morning. Therefore... When the Lord knew that the Pharisees, John chapter 4, had heard that Jesus was now making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself really wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea, where he was, and he went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now what's the context? What's going on? To kind of set the scene for you, the reality is Jesus is not just on the move physically from the southern area of Israel, known as Judea, where he had been around Jerusalem and doing ministry and doing miracles, and, and now he was moving north to the area of Galilee. 
But to get there, between Judea and Galilee was this region called Samaria that was uh, where the Samaritans lived. Now, that's probably news to you, right? But the Samaritans lived in Samaria. There we go. And, and, and the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. In fact, they despised each other. They disagreed theologically on a lot of things. The Samaritans, for example, only bought into the, uh, the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Old Testament, and they didn't give full value to all the others, and, and they disagreed theologically. They disagreed from a worship perspective. Uh, you, know, you, you could kind of say that the Samaritans were looked on by the Jews as kind of religious uh, half-breeds, low-lives, second-rate citizens. And the Samaritans knew that, and there was a lot of animosity between them. So strongly was it that the average Jew um, would never go through Samaria to get to Galilee. He would go way out of his way, cross the river, uh, cross, uh, you know, and, and go around Samaria and do a, do a lateral move around Samaria to come up and go to the northern areas of Galilee. But Jesus is not the normal guy. Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm, God, I'm not... I don't have a problem with Samaritans. So Jesus says, let's go through Samaria. You know, and his disciples are probably kind of freaked out by that, but they go along because they follow him. So he and his, you know, his posse of disciples are going through Samaria and they come near the city of Sychar and they stop at a well. Now, Jesus is on the move for a reason. The reason it's on the move was that he, you know, John says it in a very nice way. He says the Pharisees, verse 1, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now, you've got to remember, John, he's talking about now, is not John the author of this gospel. He's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a forerunner of Christ. He was proclaiming that the kingdom of God was coming. He was rallying the nation to repent of their sins. And, and he had a lot of followers, and he would baptize them as a symbol of following Jesus. And by the way, on May 18th, just two weeks from today, we're going to have a baptism service in a pool right outside in the plaza for any of you who consider yourself, I am not just a fan of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never publicly declared that through baptism, I would encourage you today to text in. It's not too late. I'll let you do that real quick. Uh, text in, hey, I want to be baptized and give, me, give us your name and, uh, and we'll get back to you. But I'd really encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's a, it's a way in which you publicly show to friends and family in the community, you publicly display your faith. It doesn't give you life, it doesn't, give, it doesn't save your soul, it doesn't do any of that, but it's a public declaration that I'm in. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have my faith in Him. And Jesus' disciples, Jesus was getting a following. And his followers were being baptized to show their, their new, that they were in, they were following Jesus. And this concerned the religious leaders because they thought, what is this new religious movement with this new prophet, this new teacher, this new rabbi named Jesus? And they were getting very threatened by Jesus. In fact, we know that before long, they'll begin to plot to kill Jesus. So, so Jesus knows that the animosity is building. Jesus has done his first miracle. Uh, in the south where he turns water into wine at a big party and and that gets everybody's attention Woo! okay let's follow him okay <laughs> but but the reality is jesus is building his following jesus is now doing miracles in fact in john chapter 2 it says that after he turns the water into wine it says and jesus was doing many other miracles so now jesus is coming out of the closet as the messiah as who he is the son of god the great i am and he's beginning to show it with miracles and his following is exploding and people are getting excited about Jesus. And the religious leaders are like, what are you all doing? What are you getting into? And Jesus knows that they are getting threatened. 
But Jesus knows that it's way too early for him to have a fight with them. So he stops off in the temple, by the way, and turns the tables over and kind of wrecks all the crooked stuff going on in the temple. That really stirs him up even more. So Jesus is stirring up trouble. That's what you need to know. So he decides, let's go up and, and, and to Galilee, and we'll do ministry up there. So he's passing north, and, and the tension is rising uh, concerning his movement. That's the setting for this. And then Jesus, as he's going through Samaria, he stops off and has this fascinating encounter, beginning in verse 4. He had to pass through Samaria. Actually, he chose to pass through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob, uh, Jacob had ga- given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So this is a famous spot in, in the history of Israel. This well that, that Jacob had given to Joseph was there. So Jesus, being weary of his journey, was sitting Thus, by the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which would be what time of the day? Not 6 a.m., the sixth hour, and there gets six hours after sunup. So it's around noon. So it's the heat of the day. Jesus stops at this well, but he has nothing that he can use to draw water out of the well. He is tired, he's weary, and he's thirsty. And he sends his disciples off. We learn this later in the story. He sends them off to go and get some food. So he sends them off to the nearest in and out that they had, and they're off to get a burger, shake, and fries, and bring it all back. And, and while they're gone, all of a sudden, Jesus encounters this woman. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, verse 7. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How, how is it that you, being a Jew, Ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I've already explained that. So he shocks this lady first by simply asking her to please help him. Give me a drink. And, and, and her response is, what are you doing talking to a Samaritan like me, and on top of that, a woman? Okay, you know, this, this is out of bounds in terms of what's politically correct, in terms of the culture. And, 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 and she is surprised by him even encountering her. So Jesus answers, and he, he likes to kind of make people puzzled. Okay, so he says this, verse 10. He says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, this, you gotta, can you laugh at this? Can you see the humor in this? You know, you, you know, you, you know, you get, you know, pull up an in and out and you say, you know, give me a, you know, give me a Coke. And, and the gay, you know, the gal says, you know, what are you doing asking for a Coke? And he says, you know, if you had known who's ordering, you would have asked me to give you living Coke. You know, so, I mean, this is, this is kind of a funny interchange. Okay. So, so she's wondering, so she comes back to him in verse 11 thinking, you smart aleck Jew. I think that's what she's thinking. She says to him, that's not in the text. That's in Dale's mind. I like to draw a distinction when it's in the Bible versus my mind. Sometimes I'm wrong, the Bible's not. You need to know that. Do you know that? Say yes. Good. Remember it. Sir, verse 11, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You've got to put quotes around that. Where do you get your living water? Uh, you know, you don't even have a bucket, man. Okay, how are you, you going to give me water if you don't have a bucket? That's the paraphrase. So you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well? I mean, Jacob dug this well. He gave us this well. And are you greater than him? 
And he drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answers and says, Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I will give him will ne shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now he's really freaked her out. So now he says, you know, okay, yeah, you drink this water, you're going to get thirsty again, lady. But the water I'm offering, my living water, if you take it, you, you don't only just drink it, it becomes in you a well that's constantly producing water. And you'll never thirst again. Now you've got to see the humor because it's not like Jesus is explaining it clearly. He's actually confusing her on purpose. In other words, he's teasing her. He's, he's trying to get her to think. And, and, and Jesus, being God, understands this lady. He knows about her life and, and she's about to learn that. So the woman responds in verse 15, Sir, and, and, she, and it's kind of like, okay, I'll call your bluff. And she says, sir, okay, give me this water so I will never be thirsty and I won't have to come all the way here to draw. You've got to realize, uh, uh, historians tell us this well is about a half mile outside of the city. So this lady is carrying large water, uh, water skins, water jugs, to carry water back for her family. She's carrying probably a couple of these big jugs. She's carrying them uh, from the city a half mile to the well. And, and she has to do this every day, if not multiple times in a day, but at least every day, to draw water and walk back. Uh, and, uh, and, and so she says, all right, I'll call your bluff. Give me your living water. It'll be a well in me. I won't have to come anymore. So she's not believing in Jesus at all. In fact, she's, she's almost making fun of him. So give me your water so I don't have to come. Verse 16. Look at it in your Bibles. So Jesus says, um, let's change topic. Go call your husband. Have him come. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Ha ha. You got to put the ha ha in there. Write it in the margin of your Bible. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus says, you know, you've correctly said you have no husband. For you actually have had five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. So this you have truly said, you have no husband. Because you've had five and you're living with a guy now you're not married to. Now he's got her attention. The woman says, sir, <laughs> I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. So, okay, if you're a prophet, I can talk about two things. We can talk about my man number six that you want to talk about, but I'd rather not talk about the fact that I am shacked up with a guy I'm not married to. Especially in that Jewish culture, this is not like a modern America scene where, okay, you're not married yet, but you're living together. Like, what, you know, what else is new? Everybody's doing that, right? We know that it's uh, by our teachings in the Word of God, that's not God's design for relationships. You know, that's not right. But yet in this day, in a Jewish, in a Jewish or Samaritan culture, no one would publicly want to do that. I mean, this gal is on man number six. She tried marriage five times. She finally gave up and just said, I'll just live with number six. There's no doubt in this small town, this gal is the talk of the town. There's a reason, by the way, I think she's coming to the well at noon. Typically, you don't go to the well at noon. If you've got to walk to the well once a day to draw a couple of heavy jugs of water and carry them back to, the, to your home, when do you go? High noon? No, I don't go at high noon. I go early morning, late evening when it's cool. 
I don't go in the middle of the heat of the day. I think the reason she went, and I can't prove this, but I think the reason she went at noon was because she wanted to go to the well when the other women weren't hanging up there talking about her. So this is a woman who has a sense of shame in her life because of how it's gone. And she bumps into this Jewish guy. Now she thinks he's a prophet. So I think what she says is, well, I don't want to talk about my immoral lifestyle. I'd rather talk about religion if I got a prophet. So she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that, in, that it's in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So Jesus says to her, woman, look, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain uh, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. The salvation is from the Jews. In other words, he is pointing out, you know, the, 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 the Jews do have the truth. And the Samaritans are not following that truth. But then he says this, but an hour is coming, verse 23, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and he who worships him must worship him in spirit, that is from the heart, and in truth, meaning with authenticity. You've got to, from the heart, genuinely worship God. And that is what makes worship real. It doesn't matter where you do it, exactly how you do it. It doesn't matter whether you do it in Jerusalem or you do it on Mount Gerizim where the Samaritans believe they should do it. You got, they got their temple, you got your temple. It's not about whose temple you're in. It's about your heart and your relationship with God. Now, if you don't learn anything else today, learn that. That makes the morning worth it. And that's not even the focus of the sermon today. But he's saying this. So all of a sudden he says, look, I'm not going to debate religious issues with you I, I, I care about you i want to talk about you wow the woman said to him well i know that messiah is coming he who is called the christ when that one comes he will declare all things to us jesus said i who speak to you am he i am messiah Jesus says, I am the great I am. I am God. I am the coming Messiah. You're talking to the Messiah. I am not just a thirsty Jew. I am not just a smart prophet who knows things that other people don't know about you. I am God. I am Messiah. And at this point, the story continues as his disciples show up. But I want to pull up first and talk a little bit about the woman, and then we'll wrap up in the last five minutes with a little bit about, these, uh, about the disciples. Because this is a fascinating story, because you've got the woman's thirst for water. And Jesus says, I care more about you than I do your physical thirst for water, because I know that your life has been driven by a thirst that you've never been able to satisfy. And the one thing they go into detail in in the story is her relationships with men. So in this case, you could have titled this message, instead of Christ the living water, it could have been the thirst for intimacy, the thirst for love, the, first, the thirst for relationship, the thirst for family. And those are all good thirsts. But this lady has a thirst for something other than just physical water and Jesus says, it'd be easy for me to give you physical water, but I want to meet your deeper needs of the real thirst that you have in life. And that's what this whole series is about. 
Now then, secondly, the disciples show up and they bring the food. Let me just read it to you and then we'll come back to it. Verse 27, at this point, the disciples show up, they come. And they were amazed that Jesus had been speaking with a woman. It's like, wow, they were, they were shocked because they were taught as kids. You don't go through Samaria, and if you do, don't talk to anybody, and especially if it's a woman at the well, avoid her like the plague. So they're shocked that Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman. But I love this. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? Because they, they've learned better not second guess what Jesus is doing. So they don't ask Jesus, but they're thinking, why is he doing this? So the woman left her water pot, verse 28, and she went into the city and said to the men, hey, come and see the man who told me all the things that I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? Maybe he's the Messiah. So they went out of the city, and the city was coming out to the well to, to see this man, to meet this man that, that had, had blown the mind of this woman. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat, eat. And he said to them, you know, I have food that you don't know about. And the disciples were saying to one another, hey, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Did you bring him something? Did you bring him a burger? You know, I mean, the disciples are clueless as to what's going on. This is one of the funniest stories in the Bible. Because they're like, did you bring him food? I didn't bring him food. I was with you, man. We were getting the food. So they show up with the food, and Jesus doesn't want to eat. Now, what did it say right before this? It said all the people of the city are, are making the half-mile walk out to the well, and Jesus sees them, and he says, now is not the time to stop and have lunch. I've lost my hunger for that. Because he says this. He says to them in verse 31, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples are saying, who brought him food? Is nobody. And Jesus says, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Because they were like four months away from harvest time where they would harvest the grain. And Jesus says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. They are white for harvest now. And undoubtedly, Jesus is pointing at the road from the city to the well and all the people in their white flowing out of the city to come out to the well. He points them to people. And he says, the harvest is now. It's not four months from now. Yeah, the grain is still green, but the, the, the harvest is now. Wow. So don't bother me about lunch. Man, we'll have lunch later. The people are coming out to talk. So Jesus redirects them. And he points them to people. It says, already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the, the saying is true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, because he told me all things that I had done. Verse 41, and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. Boom. So what do we learn? Disciples are hungry for food. The woman is thirsty. Let me give you the highlights. Number one, Satisfaction 101, I thirst, says the woman. 
raises several questions. Number one is what I call the water question. What am I really seeking? It's interesting, Jesus says in verse 13, the, he says this, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. So I think what Jesus is pointing all of us to is the fact that whatever we thirst for in life, whatever we think we have to have to be satisfied, that when we look to those things to truly satisfy us, they never truly satisfy. Now, what am I really seeking? All of us in life need to ask that question this morning. Uh, because a lot of times people just go off focusing on this woman and her immoral lifestyle and everything else. But I want to kind of flip it a little bit and say uh, we should have the attitude Jesus had toward this woman, which is he loved her, he cared about her, and he saw that her, her, her immoral lifestyle of cycling through men uh, and we don't know why she cycled through five men. Maybe she married five losers. She at least had bad taste. Okay? But maybe she had been raised in an abusive environment and she was raised uh, to, to marry men like her abusive dad. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on here, I'm sure, in her life. But Jesus saw her more as a thirsty woman who was thirsting for love and, for, and, and not finding it. When you think about the thirst for love, let's talk about that a little bit. Why do you think she was so thirsty to have a man? Especially after they kept wounding her. There's no doubt she is a wounded woman. Well, I think it's because the same reason you and I thirst for love. Why do we thirst uh, for love or, or marriage or, or that type of companionship? Well, when you look at, think about it, here's at least five things that love, especially in the context of marriage, does for you. It provides companionship for loneliness, sexual intimacy for pleasure, it provides security to provide for you, safety to protect you, and to some degree in the community, especially in this culture, status or pride. You feel better about yourself. I don't really mean pride in a prideful, sinful way, but you, know, you feel better about yourself if you feel like, you know, yeah, I have a, a marriage and it's working, and you, know, and, and you know, you feel better about yourself, right? Now, when I look at that list, that's not a bad list. You know, except for maybe the pride one, you could scratch that off. But the first four are actually things that are taught in the Bible that marriage helps provide. So, you know, it was God who said, it is not good for Adam to be alone. I will create a woman for him uh, so that he's not alone. And he created a companion. So, you know, it was God's idea to use marriage to help provide companionship, sexual intimacy, security, and safety. So at least the top four are ideas that God thought up. So this woman is looking to satisfy needs that every human being have. Everyone wants to not be lonely. Everyone wants some pleasure in life, some provision, some protection, and probably to feel good about yourself. Nothing wrong with that list. So I think Jesus realizes her problem is not these things that she's yearning for. Her problem was not her thirst. It was her well and her water. Put it that way. See, you know, we condemn this lady for her lifestyle. Get over that. Jesus said, I don't care about your lifestyle. Your lifestyle is a symptom of a deeper disease. And the deeper disease is you yearn for love. And, and, but the problem is you're going to the wrong well. You're, you're counting on men to fulfill your ultimate need for love. Now, men are pretty good. I like men. Amen? But if you rely upon your husband or your wife to 
fulfill, to fulfill your deepest needs for, for companionship, intimacy, uh, security, safety, status, we will disappoint you. Hopefully not five times, five different guys, but we will disappoint you. And, and you as women will disappoint us because we're all sin, sinful, fallen people and, and we are not perfect. So, you know, the, the reality is sometimes we, we, we thirst for the right things, but we look to drink the wrong water. Secondly, let me call it the well question. Where am I going to get my satisfaction? Uh, this raises the question that Jesus says to her, anyone who drinks this water is going to stay thirsty. Now, Jesus was not talking about her physical water. I think Jesus was, he knew that her real thirst was for a man. And, and she, had been, she had been to the well five times, and she was, now she was just drinking water off the street. And, and Jesus was, is basically saying this, that look, this world and its wells will never satisfy your deepest needs. That's what he's teaching her. So Jesus is saying that whatever it is that you look for in life, if I had a little more money, if I had a little more sex, if I had a little more, uh, you know, there, there are immoral ways to deal with this too. You know, if I, if I get a little more uh, pornography, a little more sex, if I had a little more money, a little more pleasure, um, if I have a little more financial security, if I have a little more status because I move up in my job, if I have any of those things, I'll be satisfied and jesus is saying you go to the well and even when you get it before long you feel like you need more and you'll never be satisfied so what's jesus offer he offers an alternative jesus says this why not try my living water and he says what in the world is that and if you break it down here's what i learned i typed this out for you in your outline so you could follow me because i knew i'd have to hit it quick number one is my living water is different from the rest of the world in that what I give you is free. It's a gift from God. It can never be bought. Jesus says, I want to give you a love that is a free, unconditional love, whereas men don't give you that. Now, hopefully good, godly Christian men do, okay, or women, that we, we're learning to be like Jesus we're, because Jesus is changing us from the inside out. In other words, we, we, we now have, if you've trusted Christ, you have the living water. So you ought to be beginning to give one another unconditional love. But the world doesn't operate that way. The world always says, I will love you if you do something for me. So love is a bargaining chip out in the world. Jesus says, I have a free gift. He says that you would have asked, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked, give me a drink, and I would have given it to you free. Your relationship with Jesus is free. You don't earn it with your good works. You don't earn it with your life. It's a free gift. Number two, it's sufficient for all your needs. It never runs dry. I love this fact. Jesus says, when I come into your life, I become like a well of water. Man, I'm just going to bubble up forever and ever, you know, because I, I am with you forever. I never leave you. I never forsake you. My spirit comes to live in you. And, and you can't get more intimate than that. So I want to provide for your needs I want to do it on an ongoing basis because I'll never leave you. I'll be with you. I'll be sufficient. Never runs dry. Number three, it's about a relationship, not a religion. So we're talking about your heart, sweetheart. That's in the Greek, talking to her. If you're from the South, that's what you do. If you go to the South, by the way, people always call you honey, sweetheart. 
Go, anyway, if you, go to a restaurant in Alabama and test me out. You meet a total stranger, and she calls me honey. Anyway, they don't do that in California. Freak you out. Okay, here we go. <laughs> it's a relationship, not a religion. It's a heart issue. That's why Jesus says, I don't want to talk religion with you. I want to talk relationship. I want to talk about being your Savior, your Lord, your God. It's not about religious issues. It's about Jesus Christ. Number four, it's an eternal thing. This thing is eternal. It never ends. In fact, I'm not only going to be your living water now to help satisfy your needs on earth, I'll stay with you and we're going to have fun forever and ever. This is an eternal living water relationship. And last but not least, though, he does say, as with any gift, it has to be received. He says, if you had known who's talking to you, you would have asked me to give you this living water. In other words, God doesn't jam his living water down your throat. If you've never trusted Christ, you need to realize that this is a choice that I think God puts in front of you, and there's a lot of mystery as to how all that goes down, but the reality is God says, whoever believes will have eternal life. You know, receive me and you'll have eternal life. Trust in me and you'll have eternal life. Put your trust in Christ. It's a choice. You can, you can put your, your, your choice in, in, in drinking from the wells of the world and trying to satisfy your soul with more of whatever you put in the blank at the beginning of this sermon. Or you can say, maybe I need to step back and say, Lord Jesus, I want to trust you to be the ultimate source of all of my needs. That's what he's asking you to do. If you've never done that, I invite you to do that this morning. In fact, that's so important that um, uh, I'm going to kind of pull up there and not even deal with the rest of the message. So the final five minutes I promised you, uh, I'll come back and give that to you uh, next week because I can do that. Because I think the best place to end is right here. You know, the reality is, Jesus Christ says... um, The stuff of our world always runs dry. It never, never satisfies. Now, here's the little twist on this. Can I I show you the, the, the paradox in this? I really believe that once you have Jesus as the living water, and you say, if I have him, I have enough, then that's what brings a marriage to life. And all of a sudden, You can have a marriage that provides companionship, security, protection, love, and all that sweet stuff. That stuff gets good because now you take the pressure off one another in marriage to have to supply all my needs. So when I trust Christ to be the source of my needs, then I can go to Becky and I can freely give her love and she can freely give me love and all of a sudden, wow, now i got a great marriage also. Same thing with your job. Once you say Christ is my sufficiency, he's my supplier, he provides all that I need, now I go to work with a different attitude. I don't go to work feeling like, you know something, I have to have more money, I have to make more money, because if I don't, I can't be happy. I can't have life, you know. So you put all that pressure on your job to fulfill you, and it fails. 
But once you go to work and you say, you know something, Jesus fulfills me, and now Jesus is going to go to work with me, and we're going to do work together, and we're going to grow the company, or I'm going to be the best teacher, the best lawyer, the best attorney, you know, the best uh, uh, doctor, whatever it is, you know. I'm going to be the best that God can let me be, but I'll do it to the glory of God with Jesus. Now your career becomes fun and meaningful, and you probably do a better job. So everything else in life, the desire for relationships, uh, the desire for love, the desire for, for success, the desire for career, the desire... Those things are not wrong. It's just that when they become, I have to have it, they wreck your life. And they disappoint. When they are secondary and Jesus is primary, Jesus breathes life into them. And we're going to be seeing that as we go through this series. So if you've never trusted Christ, I want to ask you to pray with me because I don't want you to go out the door without doing that. If you have trusted Christ, I want to ask you, make him your fill-in-the-blank. As long as I have this, I'd be satisfied. Just fill in Jesus and he will deliver. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the life that Jesus gives us. Thank you for the living water that he provides and becomes within us. Thank you that he and what he did on the cross is sufficient for all my needs, forgives me, makes me his child, promises to never leave me, promises to provide all the things that this dear broken woman was looking for. So we thank you for that. And we ask you, we ask you to... uh, to remind us daily that you are sufficient for all of our needs. And Lord, if I have any friends here today who have never chosen Jesus Christ as their Savior, their Lord, I pray that they would just pray with me and say, Lord Jesus, like that woman in the story, I choose you today. I believe in you. Put my trust in you. Come into my life. Provide living water for me. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to worship with a couple more songs. And as we do, uh, we've got some people that just love to pray with people. And they're going to kind of gather around this cross over here in the corner. And, and, and if you'd like to pray with someone about something you've heard me talk about today, if you just like to pray about a problem you're dealing with, they're there to serve you and pray with you. So feel free to pray with them. Feel free to go over there anytime, even after the service. Let's stand and worship. Got a great God, amen? Amen. Yeah, what an amazing Jesus this is. So worship him.